Hello and welcome to Big Boss Babble. This is episode 35. Uh, I'm Terry and I'm joined here by Leo. Hello everyone. And this week we are going to be talking about game music. What we like and games that feature fantastic soundtracks. Now you see, me, me personally, I mean, this, first off, let's, let's go by, by eras of music. Because obviously, the way it is now is that all music is basically 100% perfect and they can do anything they damn well please. That's true. Because it's just, it's just raw digital audio. But obviously, back in the day, lots of limitations were put in place. And I think, for, for me personally, my, my, or not even really era, but system, was the Commodore Amiga had some absolutely fantastic music because it had gone it had gone sort of slightly beyond just being chip tune like the sort of the Commodore 64 SID chip and things like that and they could actually use digital samples but they were still very very limited by what they could do they had four channels two of which were panned hard left and right and they had to sort of do everything in manual samples and pitch shift them and all that kind of stuff. But there's, there were some absolutely fantastic uh, soundtracks back then. One of, one of the, well, the first one that comes to mind in my head is Lotus Turbo Challenge 2. Which, if I do which my editing... I have not played, <laughs> if I If I can do the editing right, I'll put it in quietly in the background while we're talking. But it was, it was such... It was such I know it was... There was just something about it. It just became one of those tunes that's just got stuck in my head for absolutely years. It just starts off a very, very you know, like a little hi-hat beat. Just and yeah, it's just goes off with this massive synth. <laughs> it's just, it was, when I first heard that when I was a kid, I was like, yeah. And it was, you know, it was a racing game. And I was just like, yeah. It just really pumped me up. But just in general, yeah. the Amiga was, you know, it had some of the greatest music ever. And Mega did have music at all, which was not necessarily standard for the time. I did, never had an Amiga, but one of my relatives had one. And the Amiga would always blow away everything else I would see at the time. Yeah, well, that was because a, yeah, yeah. it was generally visually better looking than the DOS version of whatever game, at least in most cases. And if you got really unlucky, the DOS version wouldn't have any music at all, it would have bleeps. Yeah. Of, of one case or another. Occasionally it did have music. It was kind of just with the bleeping, but oftentimes it would just be silence and whatever system sounds you had would just indicate you just died or you got hit or whatever, or you won. But there, it wouldn't be real music. So for me, there being any music at all was already a plus because that was for a long time more of a console thing for me personally. And not exclusively because a lot of a lot of DOS games only got got real sound with the version of CDs. Not all of them, but a lot. After that, it essentially became standard because suddenly space uh, went from having to need a stockpile of, of disk to there's enough space for everything. Because you had your 10 megabyte game on a 200 megabyte CD, so there was all the space in the world. Yeah put your soundtrack on so I remember that as being a, for me personally a relatively relatively sudden change and suddenly went from oh there's a Nintendo has sound with this like the original Maniac Mansion 
where um, on the DOS version you only have. You do have an intro, you do have an intro theme, but you don't have music during the, during the stages, whereas in the NES version you have a theme for every character. Yeah. But then in, in the next game, Day of the Tentacle, not only had you full voice acting, you had music for everything. Yeah, yeah oh, Day of the Tentacle. Oh, what a, what a game. <laughs> what a game that was. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the PC, because I was talking to this uh, about this to someone the other day, and it was during that era, that sort of sort of 16-bit or late 8-bit and 16-bit console era, but on the PC side of things. And we were talking about how, obviously, today, you've got the graphics card wars. So, you know, you've got ATI and you've got NVIDIA, and they keep making better and better things, and they're just doing the market. Back back in those days, graphics weren't an issue. It was all just sprite stuff. There wasn't really any 3D. It was just blitter things. But there was a sound card war. That is true. And I always found that quite funny because, you, you know, you had... You had your PC speaker, your bleeps, and then you had the AdLib sound card, and then you had the Sound Blaster and the Roland, and you know there was all sound these Blaster different. Pro. Yeah, there was the, the you know whenever you installed an old DOS game, you had to manually select I've got this graphic or this sound card. Yeah, and things like that, and I mean that you know, and the and the, the range of quality was just incredible. Like obviously you you know you mentioned the beeps were just going. Bicky, bicky, bicky. But then you go all the way up to the Roland, which was, I mean, the sound cards then, the Roland MT32, cost somewhere in the region of about 300 quid. But they were using top-of-the-range Roland sound chips in those uh, in those sound cards. And even today, if you listen, I mean, if you listen to something like Monkey Island, the you listen to that soundtrack through the Roland MT32, it sounds like it's played on real instruments, and it's incredible. <laughs> it's absolutely incredible and it's yeah it's just I, I always found it amusing that there was you know just so many different options for sound that's true then. I always found the sound menu during the installation kind of scary because I, I wasn't really I didn't really know what I was doing back then I always selected Sound Blaster or Sound Blaster Pro and yeah. just prayed that everything worked yeah and I think a lot of games had a, an extra clip to say that uh, in Warcraft you had the narrator saying, "Your sound card works perfectly." Yeah, I remember in that. In very dramatic fashion, um, there was always a relief because then you knew you had sound; it had worked. Yeah. And I also remember, just because you could select your sound card in the menu, didn't always mean it would work. Occasionally, you just had to try them all. I think some games had had an automated process, would just select its sound card for you, and it might just work. But it that was. Occasionally, it just worked in a second, but it could involve serious troubleshooting. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I remember times when you'd pick the wrong sound card, and you would just get an absolute din come out. You come out of your computer, just screeches and horrible noises, where it just, you know, it was sending the sound data to the device, but the device was going, "I've got no idea what to do with this. I'm just going to scream." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that also. Oh yeah, one thing. That also changed since we talked about CDs. Was that some game CDs worked like audio CDs? Yes, so you could that put was them always in, fun. into yeah. your player. One thing I I did I didn't know back in the day, but a friend told me about it. So we were playing Rayman at, yeah. at his place, and not only could you listen to the Rayman soundtrack when you put in the CD, but you would in in fact get the backstory told to you as essentially a, a small audiobook. 
so as extra content. I, yeah. did, I didn't know that. He just put it in, said like, check this out. That was that was amazing. There was a Blew few games away. like that. The first one I remember discovering uh, was uh, Worms, the original Worms game. So and you put that into your CD player, and you skip to the last track, and it had what was what we now know as the worm song, which has been in every single Worms game. In the original game, it wasn't in the game. It was only on the CD. And have you you played the Worms games? I have. I've played a couple of the older ones, but I mainly stuck with Armageddon. <clears throat> yeah, but you know that what that, consider to be the best one. Uh, that refrain, you know, do 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 do. Yeah, it's been in every Worms game. It was basically that, but it was told the entire backstory of Boggy B, and the and the chorus was that tune, but with words. And it was I did not incredible. Know that. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. And what was the other one I remember finding? Oh, Mortal Kombat Ultimate Mortal Kombat Three on the Sega Saturn. And uh, this was at the point where you know companies were were figuring out that people were putting discs in their CD player and seeing what was on there. So you put Mortal Kombat in there, and it was one track, and it was literally Shao Kahn from Mortal Kombat going, "It's official." You suck. <laughs> really? Just <Yeah>. that? <laughs> just that. Wow. Who did, was, that, was it just one of the, the programmers, or did that have... No, it was, like, well, it was, it was the guy who did the voice for Shao Kahn. It was actually his voice. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it's just really bizarre. But uh, there was also some games where you could do the opposite. So, say for example, uh, Ridge Racer on the PlayStation. You could the Ridge Racer was was small enough that the entire game would fit into the RAM of the PlayStation. So technically, you loaded the game off the CD and then it didn't access it again. All it did was read the music off of it. So you could load the game, and if if you did the little trick where you can pretend that the the thing is closed, you could pull out the Ridge Racer disc and put in a music CD and it would play that music while you were playing. And your own soundtrack, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I know people who did that with with Doom. I'm not quite sure which Doom version that was, but there's one that's actually pretty good, but it lacks the soundtrack. Yeah, so that that would have been Doom 95, which was the Windows 95 version, because that was, I think, the first version to have CD quality audio on it. It Yeah, original recordings, and yeah, you could do the same thing. You just swap the disc out. Yeah, I think they're, they're because there were some some console versions which were apparently really good, but they they did include soundtrack for some reason. Some people kind of like hacked in the soundtrack if you wanna wanna use that. Yeah, well, like the, I think the PlayStation had a completely it had a weird soundtrack. Like it wasn't the original soundtrack; it had a completely new one. That's pretty awesome in its own right, but it wasn't the original soundtrack. Yeah, those were the times where ports weren't. Well, I don't want to use the, the term non-faithful because that sounds a bit negative, but you would always get a little bit of a different experience. And oh, yeah. to get everything, you you might have to play the game four times on four different platforms. Yeah. Although, it's actually, always a little bit different. Yeah, you bring up a good point, and it's a bit of an aside because it's not really about music, but talking about Doom and different versions, I always loved the N64 version because it was different to every other version. I have not played that. It was completely I'm admittedly not a big fan of shooters on consoles. Yeah. So basically it had um, all new levels, all the monster sprites were new, all the textures were brand new, all the weapons were brand new. It was basically a completely new game. 
and it was awesome. It had, you know, and it had all the effects that the, the N64 could do, like coloured lighting and texture filtering and transparencies and, and all that kind of stuff. It was absolutely great. Played exactly the same. Still couldn't look up and down, couldn't jump, but all the graphics were brand new. And it was okay. so was good. That, <laughs> was it before or after GoldenEye? I think it was slightly before. It probably because you couldn't look into different yeah. directions. But you can actually, I mean, I've, I've made a video for the channel. Um, you can download it on the PC now. You can play it on the PC because it's basically had an engine port. And it's worth having a go because it is a very good version of Doom. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, one thing I want to talk about is the distribution of music. And I think a lot of, so a lot of PC games, they have like a dedicated soundtrack and some of them just loop it. All the entire soundtrack. Yeah. And I know Shadow of the Comet did that, for better or worse. Um, Star Wars Dark Forces Jedi Knight does it. And they choose the original Star, Star or part of the original uh, Star Wars soundtrack, which occasionally means you're walking down a hallway and then the most dramatic music kicks in. Yeah. For no real reason. And what I remember is that a lot of JRPGs for consoles, in my experience, had a quite a poor distribution of music. Of course, so it's a JRPG, so you have, of course, your overworld music, you've got your battle music, your dungeon music, yeah. possibly several. And oftentimes you would have a dedicated theme for maybe bosses or the final boss, the ending and maybe the final dungeon. It depends on the game because it can only include so much on a cartridge. Yeah. But I think there were very, very few games which, which would have more, more than one combat theme. Even if you would spend a good maybe a quarter, a third or more time in the game in combat. So even if the soundtrack was excellent, it was, all, in my opinion, often poorly distributed. It, maybe it would have been better to maybe cut one dungeon theme and include a second a second combat theme to just place maybe if you have a combat indoors as opposed to a combat on the overworld. So even if the music's great, there are some games where I just didn't like the soundtrack because at the feeling it wasn't distributed in a, in a, in a way that's good and you would just hear the, the songs too often. Yeah, it just and repeats. Other not often enough. Yeah, and especially the worst part is it would, the fact that the music would always start the same, you know, start at the beginning again. Yes, so that's if, true as well. If you were in a town, um, looking in all the different houses, you'd hear that first little bit of the the town's music over and over and over again. <laughs> that is true. And it used to get yeah, famously, the the surfing theme in in Pokemon in the third generation Pokemon games is actually pretty good. But you're never going to hear it in its entirety because you start surfing and then three steps or three tiles into into whatever body of water you're on, you run into a tentacle and then you have the combat theme and it starts over again. It's of course not quite true, but uh, that's that's the one thing I remember there. Yeah. And I think there are also some systems which have music that you can't even hear completely without extracting it. Uh, Shaq Fu, which... I think Shaq Fu is, it might not be the greatest game exactly, but I think it's often unfairly maligned. It might not be great, but it often makes like the top 10 worst games list, but I don't think it's, it's not even close to that. Well, but it does it, actually have... It was obviously good enough to get a remake, so... <laughs> that is true. And it, it actually has a pretty good soundtrack. But here's the thing. The, uh, the, the battles in Shaq Fu one round can only last I think two minutes yeah uh, then you either win or you lose or the timer's out and so there's some tracks that are longer than that 
but it's only the track only plays in combat and you can't delay it there's no menu or anything yeah so unless you extract your music or buy the soundtrack maybe it's available separately you cannot hear the entire song it's impossible to hear the entire song playing the game which probably happened because the guy who composed the songs which are actually pretty good didn't necessarily knew all the technical limitations and maybe wasn't aware that there was a, a round limit for combat yeah. so that's that's a bit uh, that's a bit of a shame because now you can of course just listen to the soundtrack on, online or you might even be able to extract it from the ROM but back then that wasn't really possible so not everybody had the technical means to, to do that or was even aware that that was the case so yeah. that was a bit of music that was actually pretty decent but was more or less wasted because within the game I don't know if there's a sound check menu there might be but it might just be a debug menu for devs yeah. and not something for the for the player so it might be impossible to actually hear the this entirety of the soundtrack while playing the game regularly you bring up a good point there though about the sound check menu I, I, when I was a kid I, some games I love the music so much I, I would quite often go into the sound test menu and just leave stuff playing while I was doing other things instead yeah. of putting on a CD or something like that I'd just put on a game and just put on <laughs> the music from the game instead because I just loved it so much yeah I remember I loved the DuckTales theme rendition from the DuckTales Game Boy adaptation yeah oh, the okay. NES version is pretty good as well I di didn't have that one I had the game I actually still have the Game Boy game and for the for the Game Boy's very limited capabilities so that theme was awesome immediately recognizable and actually pretty good yeah um, yeah I mean uh, you bring up the Game Boy the Game Boy had can really pull off some impressive stuff I mean it, it shows just by the amount of people that still use Game Boys in, in chiptune creation now you know, you only had your, your two pulse channels, one uh, noise channel and one wave channel, I think, which you could do sample voices. Yeah, I, mean, I think it was one the less time, than the NES. Yeah, so, yeah, the, yeah, the NES had five. Um, and actually, actually, the NES had five, the Famicom had seven or eight. Or was it the Famicom or Famicom disk system? Uh, no, I think just the Famicom had it as well, because it had more oh, pins really? on the cartridges. And that's why if you play NES, if you play Famicom's games on a NES, you can't get the other sound. It's weird. Like, apparently, the sound system is in the NES, but okay, it, the data can't get to it because there's not enough pins on the cartridge. It's, oh, all, it's really weird. It's a really weird situation. But, yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, do the, recall the Game Boy in incredible stuff. When I the I think it was uh, one of the Bart games, one of the Simpsons games, and the first time I heard uh, Bart say "Eat my shorts" out of my Game Boy. Oh yeah. Like, that's I, I true. That did is, not know the Game Boy could do speech. <laughs> that is um, Bud Simpson in Camp Deadly. Yes, yes. Where, you, where you have to escape from the game. Yeah, he could say, I caramba and eat my shorts. And he could actually understand it. Yeah. You're, That's you know, amazing. You've had it in certain games before. Like on the, I remember there being speech on the Commodore 64. But it was just basically noisy static. You couldn't really hear what it was. Yeah, I think uh, Sinister, that was famous for having the one like the one line I am yeah. and I think I think I remember reading that it was really expensive to get that digitized back in the day is that the one where he says beware I live yeah it's where yeah. Sinister gets assembled and once he's assembled he's he says I think I'll live and then he starts chasing you and it's terrifying run 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 <laughs> yeah and I don't the, think I've played the Commodore version. I think I've played the arcade one. I'm not quite sure whether the Commodore version does it. Uh, I think several do it 
the right. cat version probably does it out that's probably the technically most advanced yeah. as it would be at the time yeah i think uh, arcade games i think arcade games had a bit of a special soundtrack because th- i think the soundtrack was part of what what would attract the player yeah definitely there were, i think there were a couple of nes games that just had a had no title theme it was just silence not with the arcade game the arcade game always had the like most not not always but for a lot of let's say fighting games and brawlers very upbeat very catchy music because it was part of the marketing essentially yeah it's like that that, that the the intro music to street fighter 2 is just so i i spent most of my youth going you know every we had f- about four holidays a year but we never used to go abroad it was always in the uk and uh, so i spent tons and tons of time in my youth in arcades all around the country and any arcade you went to back then you could just hear over everything else because they seemed to crank street fighter 2 up to the maximum volume and you just hear that intro music wherever you went and it's so ingrained in my head now i can see that such a good thing yeah, yeah i think there's there's some games where the 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 game makes the the game would not be the same without the soundtrack i uh, i don't know if you've played clock tower the the any the super nintendo game um, it's a it's, no, it's a super nintendo I've, it's I've, a super I nintendo I've only horror played, game yeah i've only played number three which i think was on the playstation yes the playstation sequels are pretty terrible in my opinion uh, yeah. i i played clock tower, clock tower three because i saw it and i thought it looked funny <laughs> yeah it, it is it's, it's it's a little bit of the it's like resident evil campy yeah and the, the, first the traps game, that you set up were just ridiculous yeah, yeah, it's 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 Home Alone yeah. level of, of of silly. The the original Clock Tower is quite different. It's in my opinion the scariest sixteen bit era game. It's the little midget it, with the scissors, isn't it? All the big guns. Yes, yeah. it's that 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 man. It's it says scissors, but they're essentially oversized hatch clippers. Yeah. And whenever uh, scissor man approaches, you hear the like the snapping sound of the scissors. And you hear the theme, and it's it's terrifying, <laughs> because you can't really fight in the game. You can, you can trap scissor man occasionally, and you can defend yourself. You can, uh, you can defend yourself briefly, but you cannot fight scissor man. Scissor man yeah. will always win, and you will die. <laughs> so you you have to run away because you are a 16 year old girl, yeah. and you cannot like with your bare hands fight off the, the psychopath with the hedge clippers. And so you know when when the music plays, you have to run, you have to hide, and it can happen at any time. And so this is that is terrifying. The music makes the game. Without the without this soundtrack, the game would not work. It doesn't have a soundtrack for most of the time. It does have noises like the clock in the background, doors being opened and stuff. But it does have the season theme, and that makes half the horror of the game. So that is essential. That is essential to the experience in that in that case. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of, a lot of games rely on musical cues for for effect. I mean, I've, one of my favorite uh, game series is Serious Sam, and Serious Sam is generally if you're just walking around and there's no enemies, it is quiet. There's no music. You feel a bit of ambient noise, but that's it. But you'll get to a little area, you'll find a bunch of ammo, some health packs. You pick them up, and as soon as you pick them up, the music kicks in. But you know, some some heavy heavy rock music starts playing. And you're like, yeah, here we go. 
and then all the enemies start appearing and you have a 10 minute massive arena battle with them and it, it just yeah, makes then you've, then you've got got suicide bombers screaming and running at you and you <laughs> screaming gets louder and louder yeah yeah that, that bit in the first game is quite funny where the first one comes over and so like, ah bang oh yourself uh oh and then about 20 of them come over the hill so good yeah, that's a good point. I think there's there's some games who do that. They do that. I noticed that in real time strategy, that that's actually a fairly new thing. In in other games, other games have done that for for a longer period of time. Initially, most strategy games just used to have a a soundtrack. It would just play in the background. Yeah. But slightly more recent games, from maybe the last ten years, they start you off with a with a slower theme, but then when you encounter the end the the enemy in fighting starts other music kicks in and that might change depending on how the battle goes and that really changes the mood because that also gets you pumped and for that genre that's fairly new and i think it's also difficult more difficult to to make because if a if a horror game you might just say oh if the monster is so close to the player you play the song the yeah. song that's yeah, fairly easy to script. Yeah, but with an strategy, yes, it's been, a bit more tricky. Yeah, a lot more variables going on. So like, yes, that's generally something the genre occasionally suffers from. That is just a bit of a mess. <laughs> and but they did do that, and that's I think that added a lot. That's one of the at least with with within this genre. That's one of the few things where there was actually an evolution because I think music has at least since the era where we had CD soundtracks, we could put. 20 songs to on a game if you really wanted to yeah. but they weren't music dynamic has, were they they were just yeah they were not dynamic music, that, that's it that's the yeah. music and music hasn't really evolved in the same way as other things have which isn't necessarily a bad thing because there's a lot of games where just having a song in the background and that's it it's perfectly fine yeah you don't need to be you don't need to reinvent the wheel but some games do and I think it's difficult and it's very challenging yeah also because I think if you're a composer you might be a guy who has nothing to do with video game coding or programming or whatever because they're very distinct talents. Yeah. You can be, but you can also, whereas if you are if you're a coder, you obviously have to know something about gameplay mechanics. Otherwise, you probably won't be able to implement them correctly. But the sound guy might be someone who's completely detached. Uh, he might not be, but he can be. Yeah, I think that's where the difference in generations comes into it because nowadays, like, you know, you, something like Skyrim, it's a full-on orchestra. But they still do fairly good, you know, dynamic changes in music and stuff like that. But that's kind of just mixed later. But then you go back to the chiptune era and, you know, them guys were digging into the hardware of that system to really eke out the, the best possible things. Like, I remember reading um, as a guy, I think it was Jaron Tell, who does the outro music for our other videos, not our podcast. Um but with the Commodore 64, like you've got the four SID channels. Actually, I think it's three, maybe even three SID channels. And you have to set an instrument per channel. And initially, it was basically, okay, this will be the bass instrument, this will be the melody instrument, and then we'll use this for noise to make drums. But then they figured out they could change the instrument on the fly, almost on a per-note basis. So then, you know, it would, even though they had only three channels, they could almost have infinite sounds at the same time. And it was yeah, it just opened it up, and it's ridiculous. And you compare stuff from like say games on the Commodore sixty four and Amiga to the demo scene, where the the computer's not processing any game logic or anything like that, and he's just doing the music. There is some 
absolutely incredible stuff that you would not believe is coming out of that machine. So was that not intentional? So did the original creators not know that you could change music like that? Well, I think, you know, some people who, you know, you know, the people who invented the Commodore 64 probably knew it could do it, but a lot of developers and, and, and demo uh, makers didn't know that. And it was just, you know, it was gradually discovered as people, as people went along. Like That's anything, cool. you know, the developers just get more, you know, like they just get more out of the hardware as time goes on because they learn more of its, of its uh, tweak, uh, tweaks and things like that. But you, uh, the, the, what was, what was I going to say? Oh, bit, have you ever played BitTrip Runner? I don't think I have. BitTrip Runner was very good for the dynamic music. So it, it, would, it would start off with the most basic little like, beepy melody. And as you got further and further into level, more and more layers and instruments and things would get layered on top of each other until you've almost got a full-on orchestra at the end of the level. And it's so good. It's just as, as you get past, you, you, you know, you'll find, oh, the bass has kicked in. And now there's a few more drums. And oh, there's a little guitar refrain on the top now. And it, it, it builds up as you go through the game. And I always enjoyed that. Because it was almost like... Because there was no real checkpoints in BitTrip Runner, so you didn't know how far you were getting. But eventually, you learnt the music cues, and you go, "Oh, I got, I got halfway through that time because I got to this sort of area of the music." So it worked as almost like a a, a a way of knowing how far you got. And I thought that was a, a brilliant use of the music. Yeah, Yoshi's Island does something similar, not quite the same, but it only has one map theme. Yeah. But whenever you progress to the next world, it's an instrument to the theme. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you go from having, I think, just one to having an entire orchestra oh. at the final world. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And and obviously the style changes as well, doesn't it? So you've got sort of a jungly version of the theme, and then you've got a more castle version of the theme, and it, it just changes as it goes. But generally, it's the same song all the way through the game. Yeah, I think some games do it really well. Super Mario World has almost exclusively remixes of its main theme as songs. And that works really well. Because they are all distinct enough that you don't have the feeling they're just recycling the music. They're actually reusing it in a, in a creative way. Yeah, plus the fact I like that if you were playing Super Mario World, you'd have a thing and you'd go down a pipe into an underground part of the level. And sometimes a theme would stay the same, but it would now have reverb on it, as if it was actually playing in a cave. Uh, that's really neat as well. <laughs> no, I always, I always enjoyed that. But what would what would you say is probably your if if you could, if you can choose your favorite soundtrack for a game? Favorite soundtrack for a game? Yeah. Ooh, it would be difficult to find a single game. It also depends on whether I would judge it by how much I think it improves the game or whether it would just be a soundtrack oh this is a soundtrack I would listen to on yeah. CD well, yeah, so let's, let's go for that if it was just a soundtrack that you were just listening to without the context of the game okay then it would be soundtrack for Command Conquer World Alert by Frank Lepappi who's done the music for most of the Command Conquer games not all of them That's really good music, and that's also I actually I do in fact have the 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 sound CD like the album yeah. for the game. It also has remixes by various bands. That's a, a nice bonus. That is really good. That's music I actually do listen to outside the game, and that's music that is good outside the game. 
So it's a shame Dan's not here because he would be excited to hear you say that because it is pretty much his favourite as well. That's good to know. <laughs> See, mine's yeah. a bit of a weird one because it's not it's not chip tune, but the, the, the they were songs made for the game, but they're not. It was um, the Jet Set Radio games or Jet Grind Radio, it's whichever one you want, whether you're American or US. They were just that they got a bunch of sort of Japanese artists to just make songs for the game. And it's, it's something that I listen to constantly. <laughs> it's on my, on my phone. I mean, I usually use Spotify, but I've got other music on there. And the only game music I have on there is um, Jet Set Radio and Jet Set Radio Future soundtrack because they are fantastic. <laughs> That's a good sign, then. Because they are pretty much just normal songs. And they work, you know, they work for the game. The game's very sort of bright and punky, and it's all about spray painting and, you know, inline skating and all that kind of stuff. They all fit with that. But they, you know, they're just such good songs. <laughs> and there's a mix as well, you know, there's rock stuff, there's dance stuff, and all kind of weird, weird DJ stuff and hip hop, and it's, it's a great mix of stuff. Yeah, I think those stuff. games, they seem to attract that. The Tony Hawk games, we talked about that before. Yeah. They're, they're, the, the soundtrack is also part of the experience. They don't use an original soundtrack, they use a contemporary soundtrack. But again, that's a part of the experience, and I think that's part of why people remember yeah. that game in particular as opposed to any other skate game from... Well, we, we mentioned that last week, didn't we, about Crazy Taxi. If you don't hear... Yeah, 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 yeah. As soon as you start, it's, it's that's not worth true. playing. <laughs> Which is why the re-release is... I can understand why they didn't include it. There's probably a licensing issue there. Oh, yeah, definitely. But it's still disappointing. Yeah. There's also games that have different soundtracks depending on the region you're in. Yeah, and well, there's... What was that one? There was... There was some game with a song and it had a quote from the Quran in it and it couldn't be oh, used. What, wasn't, that, wasn't that accidental? I think... Wasn't that Banjo-Kazooie? Oh, I no, remember it, was, that it, was it was Little Big Planet. Was it? Yeah. The PlayStation. I remember it was a game, game where it, it just felt completely out of place. Yeah, well, it wasn't even. Well, no, it didn't really feel out of place. It was just they, I don't think the developers knew. Like you say, I yeah, think it was I mean, a mistake. It was just in the background of one of the tracks that they'd chosen. And I was like, oh, we didn't notice. Sorry, and then patched it out. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, I think that happens. There's also, well, of course, there's some games that were released for different platforms at the time. We talked about that a bit. There's the Genesis and Super Nintendo uh, versions of a ton of games. I think the, I would all say the Super Nintendo Superiors got to soundtrack, but there's certain songs that work really well on the Genesis or Mega Drive. Yeah, I there's, mean, you, you just take the, it just, take the Mega Drive, it has this, it, oh. it, it has this electric guitar thing, this brow, yeah. that the Super Nintendo just couldn't do it. In the same way, yeah. If you, if you wanted a, a rocky soundtrack, I think the best one to compare between the two is um, Rock and Roll Racing. And you compare the soundtrack to the SNES to the Mega Drive. The Mega Drive sounds better, and I think it's more because the the SNES had a lot more clean sounding audio, and the Mega Drive had sort of almost like a natural distortion. So when you're trying to play Black Sabbath on a on a SNES, it doesn't sound as good as a Mega Drive because it's naturally distorted. Yes, <laughs> and it just sounds better. Yeah, I think the the Mega Drive is a better system for 
like intensity. Uh, I'm using that as the lack of a better term. Yeah. And I think that also carried on to other systems, even later systems like the Sega CD, even though the Sega CD, well, it's a CD system, you can put anything on there. Yeah. You could copy a, a, a Super Nintendo soundtrack directly on it. But even then, the CD version of Echo the Dolphin, that kind of carries the spirit of this Mega Drive soundtrack. Yeah. And that's definitely. very atmospheric, very intense. And I'm pretty sure, I, I don't know who, who altered the soundtrack or whether it was composed first and then uh, modified so it could be played by the by the Sega, by the Sega Mega Drive. I'm not quite sure what the story is, but it was definitely made in a way that it would sound it would sound like Sega sounded at the time. Yeah, well, there was also uh, apparently I I never noticed this at the time. I, th I think it was only because of the Mega Drive. If it was only on the Mega Drive One, that if you had the Mega Drive uh, One plugged in, the Mega Drive would actually use the DAC on the Mega on the Mega CD to send the audio out. And okay. that would make the sound a lot better. But I, I had neat. a Mega Drive too, so I never, I never got that because I, th I think the the original Mega CD one had um, even had SP diff out for digital audio. It was, it was really weird. It was quite a high end for a <laughs> a product at the time. Yeah, it, it might have been a bit too high end for its own good. Yeah, but it's like that. You, you hear um, really like high end audio files using PS ones for a CD player because apparently the, the DAC in that is absolutely incredible that seems to happen occasionally it's not quite the same thing but I've been told that at the time the PS3 was one of the best Blu-ray players you could get and yeah. that a comparable dedicated Blu-ray player would com cost almost as much as a PS3 but it would only play Blu-rays yeah. and not any games so you may as well get the PS3 <laughs> Yeah, and plus, obviously, with the PS3 being a game console, it's easy to update. Like, I got a 3D TV. I could just play 3D Blu-rays in my, in my Blu-ray player, which a lot couldn't because I couldn't update. <laughs> That's fair. So I was like, yeah, this, this, is, this is brilliant. But yeah, yeah, it, it, it was meant to be a very good player for the time. And obviously cheap, because Blu-ray players were going for at least a grand when they first come out. That is true. And, and, and I think... That's four, three was, what, 400, 400 quid? When the first come out? Yeah, I think I think it was sold at a loss, or at least not at a high profit margin. One of the two, I think. It would have been at a loss. The only people that don't sell at a loss is Nintendo. All of the other ones are pretty much always sold at a loss. Which is why, when things like, say, the Nintendo DS has rampant piracy, it doesn't affect Nintendo because this the piracy sells the consoles that they still make money on. <laughs> That's a fair point. Yeah, so it doesn't, it doesn't really affect them very much. Yeah, but speaking of uh, handheld consoles, uh, what I only discovered halfway through owning an original Game Boy was that using headphones could improve the sound a lot on the Game Boy. And yeah, you could well, also obviously you only had a mono speaker. Yes, so the and that was improved a lot. So that was almost like integral to the experience for some some handheld consoles. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, my Game Boy has actually been modified to have a, a line level output on it now. So I actually put it fancy. into speakers and it's sounding it, the sound out of that thing is incredible. It shouldn't be coming out of a, a device that basic. Yeah, but but does it have a backlight? Yes. Oh it does as well. Okay. <laughs> I, I give up. Fine. You you win. Yeah uh, uh, what's it called? A biverted backlight. 
Yeah, but I think well, the Game Boy was it was a slightly better calculator. Yeah, in fact, it might have been it might have been like just technically speaking below some of the Texas Instruments calculators of the time. Oh yeah, easy. A TI eighty one would have more power than a, a Game Boy. Yeah, but they did make it work. Yeah, yeah I think the, the Game Boy had some interesting sound conversions. There is the quite infamous Mega Man two for Game Boy. Yeah, which was not so. All the other Game Boy games were made by Minakuchi Engineering, but that one was made by Biox, and that's the only Mega Man game made by Biox. And the soundtrack it's lifted from the NES because the Robot Masters are recycled. Yeah, uh, but uh, I don't know what they did. Whether they just converted directly in some form or another engine just scrapped a channel. But that that soundtrack is uh, it, it's it's just a train wreck. <laughs> and so I think you had you really had to work to comp- convert properly, and they did do it with the later games. Those have obviously the soundtracks more limited because the NES has more channels, but that's properly converted, and they make the limitations work. But the other ones just sounds like it just was downsampled. It sounds like a lesser version of uh, the NES version as opposed to a different version. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not a big Mega Man fan, but I've played a few of them over time, and yeah, you you can tell that Mega Man Two is has got issues, shall we say, with the music. It does. Yeah. Anyway, I think uh, with that, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's podcast. So I give my thanks to Leo for joining me and from me. Thanks and, for having uh, me. No worries. And from both of us, we will see you next time. Take Bye care. for now.